You're listening to Podfabula Productions, a mashup of fiction, nonfiction, ideas, and commentary, created and narrated by your author host, Victor Aquista. Today's episode... When the River Ran Dry. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for listening in to episode 204. I'll be profiling the work of author colleague Robert Davies, a masterful speculative fiction writer. Today I'm reading from one of his superb novels, a work of dystopian sci-fi. In just the brief narration I share, I'm sure you'll appreciate how he paints the scene so you can get into the skin and mind of the main character and feel the mood he captures so eloquently. Here's the back jacket. Earth. 2180. Society has risen again after the fall, and city-states soar above the wreckage of a distant past. On the crowded streets of Novum, Ricky Mills runs the hustle, slipping past the MPE and behavior regulators to deliver illegal treasures his clients can't find for themselves. But the numbing grind brings him little joy, and a second existence, lived inside a powerful simulation, has become an unbreakable habit, leading to insurmountable debt. To pay back his debt and stay alive, he embarks on a personal journey that involves desperate fear, the sacrifice of another, and a promise to fulfill an old man's dream. What Ricky discovers will change his life forever. And here's some backstory about the character and setting. A street hustler. You know the type. That's our main character, Ricky. Only he hustles in the streets and shadows of a super metropolis, 150 years from now, built upon the crumbled remains of a city decimated in a global disaster. This is the second rise of humanity on Earth, where 80% of the population lives in concentrated city-states, urban islands. Ricky's city is called Novum, a hard, unforgiving place that exemplifies class divide. The wealthy and privileged live up above the clouds in huge arcology buildings. Below, the common laborer classes scratch and struggle on the crime-ridden surface streets or subsurface caverns. Like many people, Ricky escapes his dull reality inside a powerful custom-written adventure simulation, but the software's incredible realism has become an addiction he can no longer afford. Now, Unable to meet his payment obligation, he has become an object of callous fascination in a popular and brutal television program while millions watch on their screens. His walk is a run for his life, pursued with only the clothes on his back by armed chase units authorized to hunt and kill him on sight. He has been given a brief head start on a terrifying and desperate journey across the bleak outskirts of Novum in the late hours of a sweltering night. If he reaches his appointed goal alive, a microwave transmission tower about eight miles distant, his debt will be absolved. However, if the chases run him down, Novum's viewers get to watch him die in a hail of bullets. The betting houses around the city are alive with odds makers settling the line on Ricky's survival. Those odds are, shall we say, not in his favor. Only a handful of people have ever survived the war, and all of them were hardened criminals better suited to the task than Ricky. He's a skilled hustler and smuggler, 
but his chances of making it through are slim to none. Let's join Ricky on part of his life-or-death walk in this brief excerpt from When the River Ran Dry by Robert Davies. the park from where the beltway began in earnest was a hilly, uneven field, and across it, occasional foundations of old buildings. Ricky stepped carefully to avoid chunks of concrete and angular framework structures that once made homes for generations in a distant past. Lone pavers or cinder blocks hid in the grass to slow an already diminished pace, and with each deliberate footfall, Ricky wondered when the snap of a rifle or the chatter of an automatic machine gun would reach out from the darkness and end his life. It took longer than he expected, but the distance to the empty apartment blocks was closing, and he hurried toward the blackened shapes. As he slipped through twin doors that were once an entrance to the nearest building, Ricky stopped to rest. Pushed by fear alone, he had made it across the park alive. Only the sound of his labored breathing broke the silence when he stepped carefully around the clutter. It was deathly quiet, but the foul odor of mold and rotted carpet made his nose wrinkle as he navigated an obstacle course of rubbish left behind and long forgotten from the days when MPE patrols burned the squatters out like rats. Through the gaping holes where windows had been, Ricky watched the faint moonlight filter in from above, casting strange, surreal shadows along peeled, decaying walls. As he slid silently through a covered breezeway and into the next building, Ricky's skin tingled with fear and anxiety, unsure if the danger stalking him outside was worse than what he might stumble upon within. He fought to stifle the sensation of dread, but he'd seen more than his share of decomposing corpses in the tenements, to be surprised when he tripped over the remains of a squatter who'd come to grief many months before. Even in the pale light, the ghastly details were clear. Chewed by rodents, what remained of skin on the poor man's arms and legs was dry and leathery, slid into wide ovals to expose the bare bone beneath. His form had become more skeleton than body, sunken where his abdomen had been and clothed in moldering rags that seemed suited to a much larger man. His face wore a grimace of agony as tanned skin withdrew to reveal eyeless sockets and a grotesque, leering grin of exposed teeth, yawning as if from a final silent scream. The dead man's scalp showed patches of wispy matted hair, still clinging to tattered colorless tissue like unharvested wheat in a lonely winter field. Turning away in disgust, Ricky's fear was made worse by spent shell casings littering the floor around him as silent testimony the unfortunate and unknown man had been killed by point-blank gunfire. Had the chasers misidentified him as a debtor making the walk, or was he instead on the wrong side of a busted deal between thieves? Ricky paused, holding his breath in a desperate hope to hear echoes of a chase team's movement from somewhere in the ruins. Slowly and carefully, he continued onward through the block, slipping quietly from building to building until at last he emerged from the complex. Beyond, a solitary grove of tall poplars stood motionless in the calm, and Ricky remembered them from the times when he and Vinny traded stolen goods with courageous agros who dared to venture in through the wire. 
MPE cops were authorized by the Novum City Commission to shoot without warning any unauthorized aggro caught inside the city's borders, concluding a five-minute deal exchanging bottles of topaz for fresh herd meat brought considerable danger, simply from being in the company of a border-jumping aggro. Compelled by his nagging thirst, Ricky remembered occasional solitary irrigation pump houses from early forays with Vinnie when they were young. He halted the journey northward in favor of a search to find one and within a long drink he so desperately needed. Panting noticeably in the suffocating heat, Ricky turned toward the south for a moment. Far beyond, like glittering needles alone on the horizon, the brightly lit megatowers of Novum rose to dizzying heights, so massive in their place they seemed to dwarf the surrounding sprawl to insignificance. He thought of the agros and diggers, who no doubt regarded similar vistas with each visit to sell or trade their wares, looking on in wonder from the hilltops twenty kilometers distant. But his mission to find water ended the distraction quickly, as he looked for telltale rectangles of groomed fields and with them the promise of water. He scanned from left to right, but there were only isolated groves of trees and irregular shapes of wild, overgrown expanse. Ricky went quickly along a narrow ridgeline in the bright moonlight until at last he found the sharp edges of a uniform rectangle, lighter in tone than the surrounding weedy terrain, a field, recently plowed under and dusted with the white powder made by an application of chemical nutrients. By Ricky's calculation, it would take less than twenty minutes to reach on a straight line from the hilltop, but the ever-present worry, his Zorik device betrayed his position to the chasers, spurred him to action down a gentle slope and closer to his goal. The heavy grass was rough and stiff, but he kept a steady pace as he went along the hillside to a stand of pines, astride an undulating field in the darkness, and from it the unmistakable aroma of freshly turned earth. On its short boundary at the southern end, a small outbuilding sat on an angle to the furrowed rows and an elaborate manifold of pipes and fittings that fed the drip lines. There were no lights, but the moon's faint glow showed the way along a narrow access road. He wanted to bolt for drain valves suspended from a feed pipe, but the caution his constant fears had made him held him motionless as he surveyed the land beyond, like a gazelle nearing the banks of a watering hole somewhere on the Serengeti. Ricky felt the conflict rise as nature's primal need for water collided with his instinct to survive. He waited and watched. After a moment, and satisfied he was indeed alone, Ricky went quickly for the tangle of pipes, feeling each for the telltale chill he knew meant cool water within. A brass union with a simple wheel valve opened easily, and Ricky stooped to let the blessed flood pour into his mouth. After several purposeful gulps, his belly was full, and he knelt to let the spray gush over his head, soaking to the waist in seconds. When he stood to position himself against the pumping station's smooth cement wall, Ricky searched for a container to carry supply he knew would be needed if he survived long enough to come within reach of the Broad Ridge complex. But there was only a plastic crate filled with half-empty solvent cans and pipe-thread sealant. The pump house's heavy door was locked, making it clear he would have to rely on another water source farther to the north. A last pull from the manifold's valve might make a difference hours later, he decided, kneeling a last time. But as he straightened himself, 
An odd zipping sound was followed at once by a loud snap that startled him where he stood in confusion. The second bullet streaked across the field on a gentle arc, exploding from a chase sniper's rifle hidden inside a tree line to the south. happens next, you'll have to buy the book. You won't be disappointed. I'll post links to the Amazon order page as well as Robert Davies' website. As an aside, it's one of the best author websites I've ever seen. You should check it out. And make sure to watch the trailer for today's novel. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode. Check out the show notes for information about Podfobla Productions' Facebook page, my author website, and the eight streaming platforms that carry the show. Please subscribe, tell your friends, and keep an eye out for my upcoming suspense novel, Serpent Rising. Until next time...